Morning, family. And yes, there will be ice cream at the end of the service also. So I know that's the... All the kids are like, what? What's going on? Um, Before I get to share the message with you, I just wanted to firstly celebrate with you as a community. Just we finished our Faith Promise season recently. And uh, so we've wrapped up the the 2022 to 23 pledge, which ended at uh, uh, August. And uh, it's so wonderful to say that our pledge for that season was 4.5 million rand that was pledged. But we actually received 106% of that pledge. So uh, close to 4.8 million. So thank you so much for your faithfulness. And and, uh, we know that this is a faith project we do. We ask the Lord to, we trust the Lord for this money to come in. And so isn't the Lord faithful that he has done more than we could even ask or think is possible. And then again, thank you just so much for the New Year's pledge that begins now in the beginning of September and runs to August 2024. And the pledge for this year so far is 4.3 million. So thank you so much for that. And um, we just celebrate with you and trust with you for God's faithfulness uh, in, in fulfilling that pledge. Well, it is a joy to be together this morning. Our, um, our title for today, the theme that we've given just the spring celebration is delight. And uh, we just want to consider just how God delights in us and that we can delight in Him. And perhaps I want to shine the light today and be a person that shines the light on the fact that you have been made precious in the sight of God. So here's my light that I'm going to shine on you. And this is not a rusty light that's telling you you are being substituted now. Okay, this is a different light. We are going to look at just what the scripture says about our lives and how we have been made because God wants to delight in us and have us delight in him. The scripture says in many, many different places, let me just give you two scriptures. Psalm 104, 149 verse four says, for the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. In Psalm 18 verse 19 it says, he brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Do you recognize that the Lord made you, the Lord made me, the Lord made us as human beings because he wants us to experience exceeding pleasure and joy with him. We were not made as creatures to labor merely or as as workforce or as an army or as just, you know, somebody that God can take out his frustrations on. We were made because God wanted to pour out his joy, his pleasure, his goodness, his exceeding goodness upon us. He wanted us to experience just how good he is. And that's why he made us. He made us to live in this relationship with him where we find delight in him as he delights in us. So the foundation of our relationship with God is this relationship of joy. The scripture says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is a relationship that is supposed to be a relationship that brings everything good to us and where we experience everything good. But so often it's not how we think about this relationship, isn't it? I think whether you grew up perhaps in a very traditional religious Christian context because then sometimes you feel like like God is this hard taskmaster, this angry, upset person, this, this God that just wants everybody to behave and be quiet and not make a noise and not bother him. 
or perhaps you've had experiences in life and it's been hard and there's been so many difficult things that you've gone through and, and you've sort of gotten to a place where you don't think of God in line with his pleasure, his goodness, his delight. I wanna tell you this morning that God created us for his delight. God didn't make us in the beginning when the scripture says that God created us, mankind. He didn't create us because he was lonely. He didn't create us because he had need in some way. He created us because he wanted to love us. He wanted to express who he is. And that's why he created us. And that's why I can say to you today that your life is precious. Your life is precious. I can say that, I can make that statement without even perhaps knowing you, knowing your story, knowing what you've been through. I can say your life is precious. In fact, we can make that statement about any human being that's ever lived and any human being that will ever live. Your life is precious. Your life has meaning because you were made for the Lord's delight. Your life is precious. You were not made to be cast out, to be rejected. You were made because the Lord wants to delight in you. Now, I don't know about you, but so often as a human being, when I have something in my life that brings me pleasure, brings me joy, and then for some or other reason stops bringing me pleasure or stops bringing me joy, I just discard that thing. Don't we do that as people all the time? When something doesn't serve to you know, make our lives better or bring us pleasure anymore, then we just throw that thing away. Like yesterday, I was tempted to throw away Manchester United as my football team. I'm, I'm, but I, I, I'm gonna resist. And, and I'm actually gonna wear my Man United shirt this afternoon because, you know, at the spring celebration, because, you know, I'm a person of faith. But don't we sometimes, I mean, even relationships, ah, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, we, we don't bring each other joy and pleasure anymore, so we just discard, we get rid of. Isn't it amazing that even though we, that were created to bring God pleasure, rebelled against him and brought him the most tremendous heartache and pain by rebelling against him, saying we, 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 we're better off without you. He never discarded us. But he said, I don't want you to lose the purpose for which you were created. And he kept pursuing us so that we can know his pleasure. I love the words of a gentleman by the name of Tony Reinke. On Desire, in Desiring God, he writes the following. It's a little bit of a, a paragraph that I want to read for you. He says, in the beginning, God created human beings to magnify his glory. He made me, I rejected him, and chose sin instead to my ruin and despair. But unknown to me in eternity past, he set his special love on me. By his beautiful obedience, Christ entered the world to live and die and redeem me. By name, to justify me, to give me the spirit and to recreate something beautiful out of the mess called me. Something fully obedient, fully radiant in holiness, fully happy in holy communion with God. All my sins and disobedience right now pain him. Yet he delights in all my labors against sin and my labors to obey. And he lovingly disciplines me toward a day when I will reflect my Savior's glory to the core of my motives, my thoughts, and all of my words and actions to his great delight. This is 
what God created me for is to know his delight. And even though I rejected him, he said, I will not discard you. But I will keep working to bring you back to the fullness of the glory that I have made you for because your life is precious to me. We were made to glorify God, to live in his glory. The purpose you and I were created ultimately, the one-liner that you can give to that to say, if you ever ask the question, why does mankind exist? Why did God make us? He made us to glorify him. We may, he made us to reveal himself, to show his goodness, to be a reflection of who he is, to be the object on chiefly amongst creation on which he pours out his pleasure and his joy and his delight. He made us to glorify him. In the, in the, in the Westminster Short Catechism, it has this beautiful line when it talks about man's purpose. It says this, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Doesn't the scripture in the Psalms say, there are pleasures at your right hand forevermore. Heaven's not a, where God is, it's not a dreary place, it's not a boring place, it's not a place where there's just routine and you know, long church services. It's a place of delight, it's a place of pleasure, a place of joy, to the level that you and I cannot even fathom at this point. You say right now our, our ability to enjoy pleasure has been tainted, has been twisted. And so we enjoy pleasure but up to a point, then we either can't go further or then it gets twisted into something else. But one day in heaven we will enjoy pleasure for in its fullness. Because we'll enjoy pleasure with God. There are pleasures at his right hand forevermore. And I was made to live in his pleasure, with his pleasure. And to, to make that possible, for me to glorify him, to enjoy him, he made me in his image. He made you and me in his image. We know that from scripture. It's a, it's a very common statement we make as Christians. We say we, mankind was made in the image and in the likeness of God. You see, God cannot pour his pleasure on us unless we share certain characteristics with him. I want to just pause there a little bit. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? What does it mean to be in his likeness? And what perhaps does it not mean? When the scripture says we were made in the image of God and in his likeness, the original wording there carries the sense of I was made to in some ways reflect and represent who God is, but not in every way. Sometimes people get this confused. I don't know if you've heard this, but sometimes even in Christian circles, they will say, you are little gods. Because you were made in God's image. When you see you, you see God, you are little gods. I want to tell you that's not quite true. You are not little gods. Anybody angry with me right now? Sorry if I'm breaking down your self-esteem or your view of life. You are not a little god. Let me tell you why not. Because there's certain characteristics and, and, and attributes of God that you do not share and never will share. Are we okay with that? Like how many of you know God is omnipresent? He can be everywhere, all of him, everywhere, all the time. Are you omnipresent? Praise the Lord. <laughs> hey, 
Children, kids, imagine if your parents were omnipresent. Where do I go from your presence? I can't do anything in my mom. I know it sometimes feels like your mom is everywhere. Hey, isn't it? She knows everything. No, we are not omnipresent. Do you know that God is omniscient? He knows everything. Anybody here claim to know everything? Even with Google, even with ChatGPT, we don't know everything. And even if God had to one day sit us down in heaven and in the in new heaven and the new earth and he would tell us everything that ever happened, we would only know that because he knew everything. We cannot know everything in and of ourselves. We are not omniscient. God is all-powerful. Anybody here all-powerful? Hey, you don't sound so sure to me. How many of you know that there's so many things that you would like to happen and want to happen, but you can't make it happen because you don't have the power. We have some power as human beings because we are made in the image of God, the capacity that God has to know things, to do things, to think things, to feel things. We have the same capacity to do it, but not to the same level that he can do it. We are made like him in some ways, but we are not little gods. We are not perfect representations of God, but we are representations of him. Now, obviously, we were made with this purpose to be in his likeness, to represent him, as Genesis 1 verse 26 says, um, that we were made in the image and likeness of God. We were made to do this, but we chose to sin in that paragraph that I read, and we fell away. Now, when a human being falls into sin, when we fell into sin, we didn't lose the fact that we were made in the image and likeness of God. That was just distorted. It's obscured now. But the, the characteristics that you have because you share that with God, you still have them. They've just been twisted. They've been distorted. They're imperfect now. You see, you have a capacity to think because God can think. You have a capacity to build relationships because God is a relational God. You have a, a, a capacity to experience spiritual reality because God is spirit. But none of those things in our current state as human beings, we do to its fullness or perfectly. We do it all haphazard and broken. But when Jesus comes... And when I get redeemed, and this is another thing that tells me that I'm precious and that God made me for his delight because he made me, I sinned, I walked away from him. He didn't give up on me. He sent his son to redeem me to, and you know the word redeem means to buy me back. He made me, he lost me, and then he came and bought me back and said, I still want you to experience my goodness, my, my, my delight. Now, you and I know that ultimately the worth of something is, is set by what somebody's prepared to pay for it. We recently had to sell Natasha's parents' house after they passed away last year and had to go through the whole estate planning and everything. And, and uh, so we put the house on the market earlier this year and uh, you, know, you get an assessment from the estate agent and any estate agents among us, bless you, but the estate agent always tells you what you wanna hear when they begin the journey with you. They try and sort of temper your expectations, but you always think, hey, we're gonna get a bit more. 
And then you put the house on the market and people start coming and looking at it. And you have an idea of what it's worth. Now, in this case, Natasha's parents' house to us was not just worth money. It had sentimental. It had emotional value. And so that made us feel like we don't want to sell this house for too little because this is their legacy. This is, the, you know, this is their, their life. This is what they lived and worked for for so long. And we don't want to dishonor that. You know, it has some emotions to it. But how many of you know the person that makes the offer... They don't feel anything for that. And ultimately, you've got to say, well, the house may be worth however many million to me, but to that person, it's just one point something million. And then ultimately, you have to settle and go, okay, well, I have to sell the house. Because the person that pays for it sets the actual value. What is your value before God? If, if the scripture says, for God so loved the world, Loved. He was motivated by love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It's easier normally for us to die ourselves than to offer our children for something. God says, I will give you my son. And that tells us something of our worth and value and how precious we are to him, how much he wants us to experience and live in his delight. He made you for his glory. He made you in his image and likeness, and he redeemed you, and he redeemed me, so that we can live in this pleasure, this enjoyment of his. Now let me just say this quickly. To ultimately live in God's delight I have to live in line with how he created me to live. You see, he gave us free will because he really wants relationship with us. He said, I made you, I want you to experience my delight, but you can choose not to live in my delight. And that's what we did. But now, if I accept Jesus, what I'm doing is I'm choosing to come back into God's delight and want to live in God's delight. Now, the way the scripture tells me I live in God's delight is by obedience. When I obey him, not obey him because I'm afraid of him or because it's the right thing to do or because it's a duty necessarily, but I obey him because I love him. Because I recognize he made me for his delight. Now, I want to delight in him. When I begin to do that, I'm entering back into what he made me for. I'm using my free will to choose to live in his delight. And when I live in his delight, the good things that he intended me to have, he will give to me. Now, some people say, well, that doesn't really sound like free will because if I choose to do something that God didn't make me to supposed to be able to do, but I, didn't get, I don't get the blessing for it, is that really free will? Isn't he forcing me to do what he wants me to do? No. You see, anything that is created is created to function in a certain way. And if I use it for the way it was supposed to be used, you will get the best out of that. If I have a computer, for instance, or my iPad here, this iPad was made with a certain practice and purpose in mind. It was constructed to do certain things and not to do other things. Now, as long as I use this iPad in line with how it was made and what it was made for, how its infrastructure works, I will get the best out of it. It will be a good iPad. But if I decide that my iPad looks like a great surfboard, 
And I'm going to go to my swimming pool this afternoon and I'm going to try and stand on my iPad and see how much I can, you know, surf on my iPad. And then it breaks. I can't look at the iPad and say, you're a worthless, stupid iPad. Because the iPad was never made. You will never get the good, the best, the delight out of the iPad if you use it in the water because it wasn't made for the water. My life was made to live in the presence and the glory and the delight of God. When I live in his delight, when I live in obedience, when I, when I live in line with the way he created me to be, then all the good of that I will experience. But if I decide I'm gonna take my life and do something else with it, God doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't have to judge me. He just says, well, you're gonna reap the consequences of what you choose because you were not made to do that. Does that make sense to you? So God says, come, I want you to know my delight. I want you to live in my delight. And part of the way I discover how to live in his delight is by recognizing what I share in common with him. When it says I was made in his image, I was made in his likeness. I said to you earlier some of what that doesn't mean, but what does it mean to be made in his image? Let me just mention a couple of things. I'm, I'm, this is not gonna be the, the full list of it, but I was made in his image and likeness. That means that I share with him something of a moral capacity because God knows right from wrong. I can know right from wrong. Amen? Because God has a clear understanding. There are certain things that are good, there are certain things that are bad or evil. He passed that capacity on to me. Human beings have a level of knowing good from wrong that is higher than any other form of creation. Animals have a sense of right and wrong, but that sense of right and wrong is normally bound to their need for survival. And a little bit of it has, has something to do with their relationships, but even that is very basic. A human being can, can go far deeper and far more nuanced and far more intricate in their understanding of what is right and what is wrong because we share that with God. God imparted that to us. Not only do we share some moral capacity that, that we got from him, we also have a spiritual capacity because God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Human beings have a spirit. My spirit can respond to God. I can hear God's voice. I can understand his word. I can sense his presence. I can worship him. I can praise him. And human do, beings do that because we have that capacity that God gave us. Now, as far as we know in history, there's never been found a church built by the chimpanzees or a church developed by the dolphins. No matter who you think are the most highest advanced animals, they do not build altars and worship because they don't have that likeness of God in them. Now that doesn't mean they're worth less. That's just not what they were made for. They were made with other purposes in mind. We have a mental ability. Human beings can think and reason to a higher capacity because that reflects something of who God is. Now, we cannot get close to God when it comes to mental capacity and ability. But we do reflect something 
Have you, have you recognized that animals can learn? We all know this. How do animals learn? They generally learn because they copy. They copy things. But do you know that animals very rarely, if ever, really grow in their learning and developing? I mean, beavers have been building dams for the same way for thousands of years. They haven't developed to the level where they now build their dams with iron and concrete. They still use woods that they chew down. Somewhere along the line, somebody should have thought of, yes, this gives me a headache, man. I must, there must be a better way. Why must I chew through the wood? They don't. Because they don't have the complexity of thought that human beings can do, develop, learn, grow. The language abilities we have. They have some, again, but not why are we at such a higher level? Because God has the capacity far beyond us. But we share something of, him, of his likeness. We have a relational capacity. Human beings can relate on very complex ways with each other. We can, we can have relationships with, with a person that has good and bad parts to it. That is complex. We value each other. We can have things like marriage where two people can come into a depth of relationships. Even if animals mate for life, they're not married. They don't stand before the other hyenas and say, till death do us part. And then the rest laugh at them and just go, <laughs> what is wrong with you? They don't do that. We do that. Why? The scripture tells us that even in the relationship between a husband and a wife, you see something of the love of Christ for the bride. We reflect. Again, we don't relate to the quality and, and ability that God has, but we reflect something. And we even reflect God in our physical attributes. Now here I want to be careful. I want to just explain this well. Now, remember God is spirit. God does not have a physical body like you and I have a physical body. But yet, my physical body reflects something of who God is. So for instance, the scripture says, God hears. Have you, do you know the scripture says that? The scripture says, God sees. The scripture says, God moves. The scripture says, God sits. Now when the scripture, when life, when you and I use language like that, we always have a physical reality in mind. Like if I say, do you hear me? That would require you making sure that this thing on the side of your head is working with the little bones and the fluid and everything inside the vestibular system is all functioning. It's your physical characteristics that allows you for your brain to engage with sound and then you hear. Now God does not have an ear. God does not have little bones and a vestibular system, but God can hear. So my ability to hear reflects some of his physical characteristics, but God doesn't look like me. The scripture says God sits. That does not mean that he has a body that allows him to sit. It's language that helps us understand him. But God is bigger than that. God is beyond that. But my body was given to me by God to reflect him, to reflect his, some of his characteristics. Now, your body is important to you. Amen? I want to tell you that your body is precious to the Lord. You see, sometimes we say, your life is precious, your life has meaning, God delights in you, and we think that means spirit and soul. 
But I want to tell you today, and, and, I, and I trust that you'll agree with me, you know this, I want to remind you that that includes your body. Your body is precious to the Lord. Sometimes I hear Christians say things like, you know, I'm a spirit having a temporary bodily experience. And we must be careful when we say things like that because we could be sort of diminishing the value of the body and acting like your body is just, ah, whatever. Your body is precious. First of all, because it reflects something of who God is. It's also made in his image and likeness. Secondly, you will have a body in some way or form for eternity. Do you know that? The scripture talks about that we will have a new heaven and a new earth with our glorified bodies. Now, I don't know what that looks like. Does that mean I'm going to carry this stomach with me for the rest of eternity? I don't know. You know, it's my father figure. So, you know, who knows? I don't know what that means. But I do know that in some way, I'm going to have a bodily representation. My body is precious. It's not just something I have on earth. And The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52 to 53, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. Even though the mortal will clothe itself with immortality, that is something. Some form of bodily being. So we made to reflect God, we made with an everlasting body. We also made in our bodies to glorify God. Our bodies are to be used to express love and worship and adoration to God. I dare you to try and praise God without any part of your body cooperating. You can't. For you to do anything requires your body to be part of it. Even the thoughts you think requires bodily activity. But ultimately we come like this morning and we dance, and we sing, and we shout, and we clap hands, and we whistle, and we sit. Even if you sit there and you didn't enjoy it, you're still having a bodily experience. I'm not saying everybody that sat didn't enjoy it, by the way. I'm not picking on anybody. But you, you get the point. To engage with God, I need my body. To interact with God. So my, my, my body is used for His glory. The scripture says in Romans 12, this is your spiritual worship. Daily sacrifice your body as a living, give your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Daily. What I do with this body matters. How I use this body can glorify God or it can dishonor God because he gave me this body. And that's the last point I wanna make about your body is to say, your body is precious because it was made for you. Do you know there's no other one like it in creation? It's made for you. Listen to what Psalm 39 says, 139, sorry. From verse 13, it says the following. Mm -hmm. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. We often read that portion, and when we read it, we think of our inner being, the, you know, my soul, my spirit. But let's read on. My frame was not hidden from you. What is your frame? It's your body. When I was made in the secret place, 
when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. Do you know that when God thought of you, he thought of a body also. He didn't, he didn't think of Mamiala and had this like little Casper the Friendly Ghost kind of you know, thing in mind. And then he was like, wow, I'm going to make a special Mamiala and he's going to have all these char characteristics and personality traits and he's going to feel this way and everything. And he took all this care and attention and he made this beautiful soul. And then he said, okay, guys, what kind of bodies do we have available? Just let them pass by the assembly line. Uh, okay, put you in that body, off you go. As much care as what he made with forming your inmost being, the scripture says, he formed your body. Isn't it true that in Genesis, the Lord, it's the part of creation where he got in touch with it. He didn't just speak your body into being, he crafted it with his hands. Your body was made for you. So what does that tell you? If that is true, that your body was made for you, Anybody want to look at your own body for a moment? Can you just, you don't have to look, you know, just think of yourself. I'm sure there's parts of yourself that you like and there's parts of yourself that you have a bit of more complicated relationship with. Anybody? Now, we live in a fallen world. My body's not perfect, just like my inner being doesn't perfectly reflect God anymore. It's been twisted, it's been damaged, but it's still made by God to reflect some, Him and it can be redeemed. So my body, it's not perfect anymore. We now have sicknesses, we have pains, we have problems, we have disabilities, we have dysfunctions, we have all sorts of you know, issues with our bodies. But the reality is my body, God formed my body. So God thought, yes, Mamiala is how am I going to best represent Mamiala? And then he made a body and he put him in that body. Now, there's two things that we know instantly about Mamiala when we look at him. That comes with his body. The first thing is, he's not white. Mamiala, stand up quickly so that everybody can see this. They don't believe me. Okay. Now, hey, he's a... Thank you. You, you. He's a good-looking African man. He has been left in the sun a little too long. Like I was left in the snow a little too long. So he came out with a certain complexion. Now, when African Klope was here, he said, we make way too big an issue of race, so let's not make too big an issue. He's not black. He's some brown, some variety. Where did that come from? Who decided that that will be the body that he will have? God. That's not a mistake. That's not an evolutionary trait. That is God saying, this is how you're going to reflect me. Amen? Now, the second thing we know about him is the fact that he's him. <laughs> okay. We're not going to put too much investigation into this today. He is male. Now before I get into much trouble, it's not what I'm saying. The Bible says, in Genesis 1 verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. Amen, praise the Lord. Yes, we all agree, that's fantastic. 
In the image of God, he created them. Woohoo! Male and female, he created them. Huh? Okay, now, let's cut that part out. Can't we, can't we just have a Bible that says, so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them. Yes, full stop, amen. The Bible says, male and female, he created them. In God's inordinate intelligence and wisdom, he decided that the best humanity that will represent him the best will be a two-sexed humanity with males and females that together can only represent him. Each on their own can't fully represent him together. Now, I don't wanna, we'll dig into that a bit more another time. So if it is true that God chose Mamiala's race for him, is it also true that God chose his gender for him? Or was that an accident? Does that not matter? Is that sort of arbitrary? No. In God's wisdom, he decided that Letitia will best represent him as a female of the species. And Mamiala will represent him as a male of the species. And that's up to God. Guess what? He's God after all. He can sort of do what he thinks is right and best. Now, let me go sideways here a little bit. We have complicated relationships with our bodies. Amen? I am pretty comfortable with the fact that I'm male. I still have a complicated relationship with my body. My nostrils are way too big. Now, can not come and look at me like this when you see me next time? It's like, you know, trying to, it's my mother's fault. I inherited it from her, so. You know, it's like, Lord, really? I have, a, I have a knee that has no cartilage, so I can't really, I'm gonna play some foosball this afternoon, but tomorrow you'll see me like, walk like this, because, you know, I have restless leg syndrome, so I lose a couple of hours of sleep every week because my legs are on fire. You have your own body issues. Sometimes your body issues includes sicknesses, it includes dysfunctions, it includes disabilities. It can include even that I don't quite feel at home in my body, I don't feel my body best represents me. These are all real things and realities. And I'm not saying you shouldn't feel that way, that's human. That's part of the, the, the fact that we do not longer perfectly represent him. But what's the answer for that? What do I do with my body when I feel like, mm, you know, when I'm sick or when I'm struggling in any way? What do I do with it? I think the first step you do is what Romans 12 verse 1 says. Present your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. I think what that simply means is recognize that your body is precious and it is a gift given to you by God. And go to him and say, Lord, thank you for this body. I want to worship you with this body, but I've got some arguments with this body. I don't feel comfortable with parts of this body. Give me your perspective. Help me. Give me grace. Love my body. Love me so that I can step into the fullness of what you have for me. Redeem me. And that's the journey every one of us has to go through. This is a family service, so I can't go too far with this. But we all know that we can't do with our bodies what we want. We have to discipline them. We have to keep our desires in check. We have to 
guide ourselves. And for some people, that includes some things, and for others, it includes more things. But every one of us, it begins by saying, Jesus, I give you my body because you gave it to me first. And I honor you with it. I want to worship you with it. I'm not going to cast my body aside and treat it like it's worthless or doesn't mean anything. Or I'm also not going to worship my body and make it the most important thing. My body is to worship you. I'm not to worship my body. I'm not to give it the final say over my life. You have the final say. Is that okay? Worship team, please join. I think we should do the song that we didn't do earlier. Can I suggest that just now? Is that okay, Luke? Thank you. You are precious to the Lord. You. Not your neighbor. That's also true. But I don't want you to focus on them. You. With all your quirks, all your challenges, all your issues, everything. You are precious to the Lord. You're not perfect. You're not great as you are. No matter how you were born, what you were born like, Jesus has a plan for your life, and that means he saves you, redeems you, and restores you to the original plan that he had. And that begins by me giving him everything. I wonder this morning if we can make use of this opportunity as I finish to present our bodies to the Lord as a living sacrifice. Some of us are getting older. Amen? And you've got pains that you've never had before. You don't see so well, you don't hear so well. Your body presented to the Lord. Some of us have been in accidents or had diseases and there's parts of our body that we've lost or don't function as they should. They can still worship the Lord. Amen? Some of us are struggling with gender things. We can still worship the Lord and give that to the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to determine my life. Not culture, not what's popular, not what I feel. I trust you because you made me. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I want you to tell me who I am more than anybody or anything else. Tell me, Lord. I give you that right because you are God. Can we do that this morning? So I invite you to stand. I want you to respond to the Lord. Just This is a private moment that you're having with all of us right now. This is a moment for you to say, Lord, here I am. I give you myself. I give you my being. Because I want to delight in you and I want to live in your delight. Perhaps you recognize some things in your life that you've been doing that, that has misaligned you with what God has intended for you. This is a great place to go and say, Lord, I give you my life. I give you that part also. Yes, Lord, we declare that you are good. In the midst of all the challenges and stuff, midst of a broken world, in the midst of our own brokenness and sinfulness. You are good, Lord. And you made us for good. You made us to experience your delight and to live in your delight, Lord. And so I pray for every one of us today, Lord, that perhaps where there's heaviness, where it feels like Life is being squeezed out of us, Lord, where it feels like we're not living in the delight. Lord, I pray today in Jesus' name that the truth will shine as a light and say, you are my delight. Let me help you. Let me work with you. Let me 
bring you to the fullness of what I've created for you, that you may know life and life in abundance. So we come and we submit to you, Lord Jesus. And this morning we present our lives to you and we present our bodies to you. And we say, you are good. If you want to just say that with me, just raise your hand and say, Lord, I give you my body as a living sacrifice. Just say that to the Lord. Just in your mind or under your own breath, just say, Lord, I give you my body as a living sacrifice. Thank you that it is precious and that I can worship you and serve you and glorify you in Jesus' name. And we all together say, Amen, Amen, and Amen.